Well, I'm happy to welcome you as we gather as the Christ Journey family once again. And wherever you're making your connection with us, I want us all with one voice to get on the same page right up front. So I'm going to say, with God, all things are possible. This is a foundation truth that we're holding on to in this challenging series and time. And uh, we're all going to say it together, okay? Here we go. With God, all things are possible. With God. Okay, all campuses, Church Online, Kendall Campus, Gables Campus, everybody out there across the nation around the world. With God, all things are possible. Amen. And we're holding on to that today as we once again enter the minefield of moral issues. And in this series, what we have sought to do is uh, journey through what sometimes seem to be dream to nightmare scenarios. And uh, especially when it comes to matters of life and death, I believe we would do well to tread lightly and with great humility, which is what we seek to do today. So may God add his kindness and mercy to our uh, gathering. Um, I haven't done much public speaking, really. If you check the record, you're not going to find much record on me speaking publicly directly to the topic of abortion. It's not there. And the reason is not because I don't have a conviction about the matter. Uh, it's not that um, I have not taught the values and principles that can add light into places where lots of heat has been generated in perhaps one of the most bitterly divisive issues in three generations of America. It's not because that I haven't responded in a more personal and pastoral way to many people in private along the journey of my ministry through the years. What it does mean is that I have chosen not to let the politicizing and the polarizing around this issue bully its way into the space that I believe our church's overriding calling and mission must have alone. And, um, and that mission is to share the love of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in our community as a supportive opportunity to address our shared challenge of being sin sick as a people. Now, the word sin simply means this. We miss the mark. We tend to fall short. We don't always measure up. Our, our moral compass doesn't point true north. And those are all evidences of what Jesus spoke of as sin. We, we miss the mark. And so even if our compass did point true north, then what we would eventually discover is that we can't get there by ourselves. We fall short. That's what this means. Now, I can tell you of at least one person who believes concerning this issue, this issue in particular that I fall short as a pastor because I have not addressed it with the same anti-abortion intensity that they choose to wrap around the issue. And... Um, and they were outspoken against it to such degree that no matter 
who they're talking to, the conversation would always engage this issue at some point, and they just simply didn't understand why I, as a pastor, didn't do that. And me saying to them, well, Jesus didn't do that, wasn't enough. So I remember one day when we were together having lunch, and I just asked this question, um, have you always cared so intensely for the unborn? And they said, no. And I said, well, where did that start for you? When did it start mattering? And they said, well, when I met Christ. You know, and God's love, <laughs> I started realizing that God loves everybody, especially those who can't speak for themselves. And, and I said, I understand that. I respect that. I get that. So your valuing of human life and potential started when started to come alive in you at this intensity level when you experienced God's love personally in Jesus Christ. And they said, yes. And then you've also told me that you, you really can't have a conversation without bringing up the topic. That's right. And then I said, well, what would you think if I told you that whoever I'm with and whatever the topic of conversation, I'm always thinking about this topic. How can I help them? I wonder if they know how much God loves them, and how can I help them experience Christ personally? And they said back to me, is that true? And I said, well, pretty much. You know, it's like it's always on my mind. <laughs> and when I meet people, I'm wondering, how can I help them find and follow Christ? Because if Christ comes alive in their heart, then his love is going to, God's love is going to move in, and the Holy Spirit is going to help them start caring about people in ways they never cared before. I said, just like you just told me, you started caring. And um, so my approach has always been to help people find and follow Christ and then trust the Holy Spirit to help us start loving one another in different ways on the other side of that. So I could be wrong, but my belief has been this. The main thing for me is to keep the main thing the main thing. And as important as this thing is, it's very important, it's just not the main thing. So what, maybe what you've realized in this series is what I've been trying to do is offer a way of thinking ethically for us as Christ followers. Um, now, this is not the only way to think ethically, but it is a good way. It is biblical. It's Christ-honoring. And I would love everybody in the Christ Journey family, wherever you're making your connection with us, to have this tool in your kit or this in your spiritual arsenal. I don't remember anybody providing for me in my younger years um, anything quite like this to help me think about how I think uh, as a follower of Jesus. But what I'm thinking is, if you had access to this, then you might be able to think more thoughtfully about such things too. And um, having the right tools can help you do a better job. On the other hand, if your only tool is a hammer, then everything tends to look like a nail. And we can go hammering our way through life and thinking, nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. And, uh, and hammering away when Jesus' approach to nails was what? I'll take those into myself rather than drilling them into other people. Now, the self-righteous Pharisee in me doesn't like that. The self-righteous Pharisee in me loves to nail things down and then loves to nail the truth, you know? Nail people with the truth. And I've got the verses in me to do that and I'm telling you shame and blame make powerful nail guns, great hammers. 
But Jesus is offering a more thoughtful approach. As Christ followers, we are exploring that. Now, of course, you'll have to decide, as you're already doing, what you think about that way of thinking. As a parent, you'll have to think about that. As a spiritual guide, as a, uh, as a Bible teacher, as a classmate, as a fellow student with somebody, you'll have to think about that. But as you do, here's what I'm hoping will happen. I hope you'll at least understand how I got there and why my conviction. I truly believe all Scripture is inspired by God, but all Scripture needs to be filtered through God in the flesh, the ultimate revealer, Jesus the Christ, who shows us how do we apply the great commandment and the great commission in the way that we treat one another? And that that is the best way. Christ offers us the best way to interpret the Bible. It's a thoughtful way. I heard um, Richard Halverson, longtime chaplain of the United States Senate, say one time years ago, he said, only 10% of people really think. Most just repeat what they heard someone else say. The rest only think they're thinking when all they're really doing is rearranging their prejudices. I thought, i got to write that down. Because you know what it's occurred to me? Christ followers can do better than simply rearrange our prejudices. And so I'm offering this talk toward that end today. But speaking of thinking, and by the way, if you want that quote, it's in the Christ Journey app in your message notes today, as are all the resources that we've made available during uh, this series. Um, but speaking of thinking, Time Magazine, November 21st, 2018, reported that new numbers released by the Center for Disease Control now show that abortion rates in the United States have reached an historic low. The lowest number of abortions over a decade, a drop of 26% overall, and among teenagers, a drop of 50%. It's the lowest number of abortions the lowest level since Roe versus Wade in 1973. So what I'm thinking is it seems like some thinking is being changed around this topic, especially among younger generations. And yet the irony is at the same time, some states are now choosing to allow women to have late-term abortions. And so what a contrast, right? But rather than talk about what's happening out there somewhere, why don't I bring you into what you said, those of you responding to our survey about the series. Here's what we said. The ones who took the survey at Christ's Journey said, 22% of us have had an abortion or we've asked our girlfriend to get one. This is not an out there issue for us, is it? 10% um, said, my mom had one after me. 9%, my siblings, brothers and sisters are involved. 10%, my extended family. And then 21% of us have close friends who, for whom this topic is more than a topic. 1% of our children, and I believe we could say thank you, Lord, for that. Um, but in the last few weeks, in preparation for this talk, I visited with several women from our church. And one who had had an abortion some years ago took me through the healing process that entire journey, personally. Another one I spoke with just last week in anticipation of this, she volunteered, you know, I'm in a healing process right now for an abortion that I had years ago. Another young woman in our congregation, a young adult who's now a mom, said that she has friends and she was concerned for them and authentically concerned because she said, I know they've had abortions, but now that they want kids, they're at a different place in their life and they're unable to have them. They're facing infertility issues. And then another couple that I visited with, um, actually their family started 
with an unexpected pregnancy. The now husband told me that at 16, he got his 15-year-old girlfriend pregnant, and immediately his family, friends, doctors, everybody said, oh man, abortion's the way to go. And he said, I was scared. And here's what I thought. I knew I needed to accept responsibility for my decisions, close quote. That's what he said. So she and he got married the next summer, and they welcomed their firstborn son into their family. They've now been married 12 years and have many children and are active in Christ Journey Church. And so I'm just bringing that up to say this is not an out there issue, right? And if you're thinking, you know, you've got an unwanted or an unexpected pregnancy, can I tell you what the survey says about that? One of our survey respondents wrote in this note. My children are alive because their birth mother chose adoption over abortion. Here's what we say. People make mistakes, but God doesn't. And we want to wind up on the solution side of this challenge, this tough issue as a church family. That's where I want to help us go. So it's not my purpose today to enter the political debate, but rather simply to ask this question. Is there a way for us as Christ followers to follow Jesus and turn the controversy toward a conversation that can then bring help, healing, and hope into this tragic reality that we face. So my comments are not going to be uh, around rights language. What's a woman's right? What's the rights of an unborn? The rights of a biological father? The rights of privacy? Um, Not that those aren't worthy conversations at different levels in this experience, but as we saw with drugs and addiction, what we learned was a legal right can still be a personal wrong. So just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean that it will do right for you in the doing of it. And uh, so that needs to be said again, right? So sometimes a right can do you wrong, and who needs that, right? So our intention, my intention in this is to follow Jesus. Friend of sinners was what he was labeled because he would enter into situations that people had convictions about that were wrong and label people and say Jesus hangs out with people on the wrong side of uh, the equation. And yet the label stuck and John, the apostle, said he's full of grace and truth. So Jesus entered into the the controversies of his day and then engaged a conversation that leaned toward health and healing. Jesus, full of redeeming grace, and liberating truth. Those are the tensions, the points that are at tension in this. Now, on the one side, grace to the extreme without truth is what? It's going to become permissiveness and license that are its own kind of dead end. It's another trap. And on the other side, truth, apart from grace, can be all about legalism, and condemnation, and that leads into another kind of death trap. And so what we see in Jesus, John says, you've got a marriage of grace and truth right there, these two seemingly opposing points that exist in tension, and just like the opposing points of a string on a violin or on a guitar, uh, yet the, the opposition of those points actually provide the tension on which music can be made. Grace. 
Jesus is full of grace. What does that mean? God's unconditional love. We sang about it a moment ago. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But oh my goodness, he is on your side and he's coming for you because he loves you. And truth means that like a physician, he was called the physician, the good physician, that he knows what needs to change in us as his patients in order for health to be restored. So as a Christ follower... The bedrock truths that are undergirding this for me is God as gracious creator, sustainer, and redeemer of life. The church family as the people of Jesus who want to be a place where shame meets grace and grace and truth can be celebrated in support of people. And then Christ our Savior who models for us how it's done. What it looks like and how it works in truth. Now, to assist me today, In this journey, I have a dear friend, Betty Laura, who's coming to the platform now. She served on church staff here for some years. She's been a part of the Christ Journey family. Would you join me in welcoming her as she comes to share with us? Um, Actually, Betty uh, was a tremendous support to me as an executive assistant in our office for years, and then God called her out, and she left in order to launch a ministry known as Glory House that intervenes in human trafficking for girls and women. So thank you so much, Betty, for your sensitivity to God's call in your life, and then uh, what a blessing it's been to watch him use you to help so many more, and, and I among them today especially uh, and, and for the courage to let us into some of your story, too. Sure. So why don't you just go ahead and take us there? Yes, well, um, it's a, a long story, but short for today. Uh, basically, I was involved when I was 16 years old uh, with a boyfriend, and I ended up pregnant. And so I had to tell my mother as a minor, and she uh, was, uh, she took me to to get a, a test, and of course the test was positive. And at that time in her life, she was taking care of four children. She was taking care of two senior adult parents and also a nanny that you know lived with us. And so I think uh, just with all that stress going on in her life, and in addition to that, she was a teacher, she actually made the decision for me and she took me to an abortion clinic and I had an abortion at 16. Mm. So. Did you talk about it? Did you talk about it before? Did you talk about it during? Did you talk about it after? Yeah, we don't really talked about that. We just, you know, kind of just sort of sweep it under the rug. It's not really something that, you know, we talked about in my family. And so, you know, eventually uh, I had to deal with it. But at that time, I just didn't really want to, you know, talk about it. Uh, we went to church, and a lot of people, you know, asked, uh, we were Catholics, and at that time, they asked us, you know, asked me how I'm doing, and of course, I said everything was, know. no, yeah. everything was fine. Um, you know, inside, when you're talking about a topic like that, and you've gone through it, it's a lot, it's very traumatic, it brings a lot of shame, and just the fact that you talk about it, you're afraid that people will reject you. And so you just... Stuffed it or sat on it? Or? Yes, I did. I, I pretended that nothing happened for many, many years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know there's so much more to the story, but to fast forward two marriages later, mm-hmm. you've been stuffing this. Yes. And then something under the surface erupted. Bring us into that. Well, um, I came to know the Lord after my first divorce. That's a trauma, right? So you just, I just 
basically hit rock bottom. And then after I was married the second time, I started trusting more in the Lord. And I wanted to serve. My heart was, has always been to serve. And so uh, funny how God works. He, I ended up in a crisis pregnancy center because I wanted to help women that had had an abortion. And the director of the program sat in front of me and she says, of course, she knew it, that I had had an abortion. She says, Betty, you have to minister out of a healed place rather than out of a wounded place. And so that's when my healing began in that area. I took a post-abortion class. And, uh, you know, the Lord began just healing my heart, healing many, many wounds that I had in my heart. And, uh, you know, for many years that I had stuffed down. And so, you know, I buried that and carried it so long. So there was so much freedom for me when I went through that training and that class. And the healing continues, I guess. Amen, amen. Yeah. We're always, yes. Uh, one of the things that struck me as you and I visited about this and as I visited with other ladies in the church is, um, I mean, this thought just popped into my mind. This really is an unspoken, unspeakable. Yes. I mean, where do you go to talk about it? Where do you ever hear anybody talk about it? You know, our culture doesn't talk about it. We just shout about it. And in churches, we don't tend to talk about it. I mean, we hide or we shout about it as well. And so our attempt today is let's just open the conversation. We know the controversy, but how do we enter the conversation toward healing? And in, as you and I visited, the trauma of this right. uh, settled on my heart yeah. in a fresh way. And I thought, man... How do you, now on the other side right. of much of the trauma, the healing still continues for you, mm -hmm. but how does, um, how does that happen? What, what would you like others to know? Well, God has an amazing way of turning brokenness into healing and into abundance. And I want to share uh, one of my most favorite verses in the Bible, which I call it the exchange verse, and that's Isaiah 61. And it says, God bestows a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Instead of shame, his people will receive a double portion of everlasting joy. And so, um, you know, God... What, what verse is that? Is uh, Isaiah 61. Okay, somebody yeah. may need to remember that yeah, one. Yeah, it's a beautiful, uh, you know, I go to that. A double portion. Amen, a double portion. And I've seen that in my own life and the, those that I minister to. And I, you know, I spoke to you about my first book that I wrote and how it has brought so much hope to women. And now I'm, uh, you know, talking about writing my second book, which is based on Ephesians 3.20, which is God does, a, 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 you know, more than we can ask, immeasurable more, more than we can ask or imagine. And so, you know, he flips pain. He flips pain and he flips that shame and that brokenness and that, you know, guilt. Uh, and now it's kind of uh, ironic to me that God would use me to help survivors of human trafficking. Yeah, that's amazing. Yes. Um, speaking of your book, it's okay with me if you don't put me in there. <laughs> okay. In case you were wondering. I guess you weren't wondering, were you? Um, I would really encourage you to, uh, to check out Betty's book and to learn more about her life as she's sharing it with us. Um, but I also, you know, one of the things we've talked about is you've said that you have had occasion now to um, be part of women's lives, some who've had multiple yeah. abortions. And I just, um, trying to imagine how, what emotions are wrapped around that. Yeah, I, I, I as you, you know, as you and I talk, I remember uh, one particular 
um, woman that I ministered to, and she walked into the counseling room, and she had had 10 abortions. Mm. And the shame and the pain, she wouldn't even look, you know, she wouldn't look at my face. And so, you know, it's very hard uh, to face. It's very hard to admit. It's very hard because it's like you talked about, it's hushed at the church. And, you know, when we go through a divorce, people find out about it, right? When we go through a drugs, eventually people will know. But this is sort of like the hidden sin that, Abortion. you know. Nobody yeah, knows nobody knows. You can keep it very hush-hush and not tell anyone, so. Well, what would you want uh, women who've had abortions to know yeah. as well, I would say, you know, uh, don't be afraid. Bring it up. You know, tell a trusted friend. There's counselors that you can talk to. There's training or classes that you can go to, like I went through post-abortion. Uh, and don't let the enemy, you know, don't let the enemy play tricks on you, put that shame and that guilt. And well, your pain can be turned into blessing others, which, you know, that's what God has done with me. So if you struggle with pain, guilt, self-condemnation, uh, don't there, don't 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 let the enemy. God is a God of hope. It's a, he's a God of healing, and so um, you know you also have to know that there's consequences when you go through this. There's STDs. There's HIVs. There's multiple relationships, promiscuity, and of course the emotional pain. Most people don't even you know talk about it because it's very hurtful. Um, and we're hardwired as women to procreate, right? So if we're having an abortion, it's totally contrary to the way that God created us. Um, well, I know that you were available after service uh, in our prior experience, and there'll be others that are available at the cross today for healing prayer or for private conversations Absolutely. if somebody's interested in that. What would you say to, um, to a woman who's not had an abortion? Well, I say that you're blessed. You're blessed. Uh, you know, that's why the Lord says, honor your body. That's why the Lord says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that you don't have to make those difficult decisions that, you know, people have to make when, you know, they're not married or they have children and I want to have an abortion. So I would say, um, just honor your body, basically. I mean, I know that that sounds good, but in today's world, that doesn't always seem to be the reality. Um, but what would you say to someone who's just found out? They're now expecting, but it's very unexpected, and they're looking at options. Well, I would say that there are so many couples and beautiful families that would love to have children that want children and families that cannot have children. So I would say there's other options. There's, you know, there's adoption. And so you can think about that. Um, I want to uh, talk about, you know, Glory House and the experience that I've had. I've had survivors that have had children, and they're single. And unlike myself, what I went through, they've had children. And so I've seen them uh, just grow as beautiful mothers. I've seen their children uh, flourish. Uh, you know, we, Christ Journey and Glory House, are partners, and we have a Bible study here for survivors. And I'm just so proud of them. I've actually been in the hospitals, you know, waiting for them to have children. And that, to me, is just beautiful and amazing. Well, I'm so thankful that we get to be a part of that as well and that our family ministry has been able to be a part of serving these beautiful children yes. that are coming through Glory House as well. And, um, and I also thank God for what he has done in your life and continues to do for others through your life. 
and turning this experience into what you called it a double portion of blessing. Amen. And uh, and what the enemy had thought for evil, God turns God around for, for good. good. <laughs> yeah. What a great thing. And thank you for your courage in sharing with us today. Would Not you say thanks thank to you, Betty? Pastor. Thank you. I want to bring our thinking and the final few moments to Jesus once again. How does Jesus show us how to apply his truth? And I want to take us to something Jesus said. Though he never spoke directly to the issue of abortion, you might remember that he was living in a time when certain people were considered disposable, women and children in particular, in the Roman Empire. Uh, women were disrespected, women were devalued, women were dismissed with words, and then they were gone. Uh, children, likewise, were neglected and, uh, or worse. I mean, infanticide was widely practiced in the Roman Empire. And, of course, the great Roman Empire was concerned about becoming even more great. And one day, Jesus' men were talking about, what, how do you be great? How do you live a great life? You might remember the story in Matthew 18. Um, and Jesus invites a child to come to the center of that circle experience. The word means it could have been a toddler or a preschooler. Now contrast Jesus' view, which I'll give you three points, to the worldview that was really at work in the Roman Empire. The world says this, if you want to be great, you've got to power up, you've got to get what you want, take what you need, obey your appetites, it's all about you. And yet Jesus steps in and says, no, 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 to be great, he engages a child to help men get there. Very different from what was going on in the Roman Empire. Very different from what goes on in much of the world today. But Jesus said there are three elements that lead to a great life, and they all involve a little child. Whomever comes, whomever welcomes a little child like this in my name, welcomes me. And then he says, hey, unless you change and become like little children, then you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. What's the lesson? The lesson is this. To become great, welcome the child. Guys, are you listening? That's what Jesus is saying to his men. Welcome the child. Choose humility over pride and become like a little child. Welcome the child. Second teaching of Jesus. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him for a large millstone to be tied around his neck, be drowned in the sea, and then he kicks into this full rant of emotional hyperbole. It's like, oh, better to cut off your, this is Jesus, better to cut off your hand, better to cut off your foot, better to gouge out your eye than to have, and then be maimed and enter eternity maimed than to have all of you thrown into the fires of hell. You know, that's shock talk. That's strong. That's hyperbole. He's, it's like Jesus, if Jesus were a shock disc jockey, you know, shock, shock jock, then he's trying to get people's attention. But what's the lesson? To become great, sacrifice yourself for the child. Choose self-sacrifice over self-serving. Choose saving a child over saving yourself. And then Jesus tells this story, which we love. You know, that part maybe is a little hard to love, but this part, Jesus says, you know, there was a man he had 100 sheep. One of them wandered off, so he left the 99. We just sang about that today, didn't we? 
He left the 99 and went to find the one. And when he found the one, he was happier over finding one than having 99 who didn't even wander off. And then Jesus says this. Here's the punchline. In the same way, your Father in heaven, your Father, and your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones be lost. Verse 10, so don't look down on any of these little ones because I tell you, their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What's Jesus saying? God doesn't throw people away. Not the people who wander off following their own appetites and then wonder how they got there. Not the people who are misguided by a, 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 a shepherd taking them into a pasture that is far from home and not even the little ones who are discarded because somebody says, oh, hey, I've got 100 just like them. We can make more. Jesus says his father, your father, wants all children to be with him, even the grown-up children. Yeah, yeah, even all of us grown-up ones, if we'll become like a little one. And then we start learning how to trust him. And then the third lesson grows out of that. Let the Father find you. Let your Father in heaven find you. Maybe that's for you today. Whatever you've done, wherever you've gone, whatever's happened in your life, you know what? You're not out of his reach. You're not out of his thoughts. You're not out of his heart. You're not out of range for God's healing to find you and to bring grace into that place. And we want to be here for you as well. God, your creator, sustainer, redeemer, and his church family, this community of support where we need to learn how to speak grace and truth to one another, especially where pain and shame have kind of laid the put the hammer on us, right? So what I would say, church family, is it time to lay the hammer down and instead take the nails, take the nails into the body, into the family, and, um, and what does that mean, really, Bill? What does that mean? Well, maybe it means this. Stop the polarizing conversations and start some healing ones. Maybe we just stop talking when the issue comes up and start listening and out of the listening, we start learning how the Spirit would tell us to love somebody that God loves very much without jumping to judgment on it, that we would learn how to communicate and create a safe place where shame could meet grace and a conversation that tends not to take place anywhere. Mike could rise up in his body and healing could come. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? That's the question. Who was full of grace and truth for all the people God loves. I mean, does that look like taking up your Thor hammer and playing whack-a-mole with people? Or does it look like taking up a cross and then receiving the nails into your body, even if it puts you between two thieves? Imagine this. Imagine, imagine you, imagine your life, imagine your church, a 
a place where shame meets grace and healing rises so more people can experience it. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we don't get there without you on this. I know I've got a nail gun in my hand, and I tend to think that I, if I nail something down, then I've fixed it, and it's just not true. So I'm thankful for your forgiving grace in my life today, and we pray that your healing mercy and your forgiving grace could flow to every hurting heart, to every hardened place, that you would help us become a place where our small groups can be safe enough for somebody to share their pain, that our lips could be sealed enough for somebody to be able to trust us when they let us in. And Lord, even today, that your Holy Spirit, our comforter, our counselor, could guide us into truth because we know your grace will never leave us or forsake us. So sister, we're here for you. Brother, we're here for you. Would you lean in to what God has for you today? And maybe on the front end of your spiritual journey, somebody is saying, you know, I've been religious, but boy, what he's talking about today, this is not religion. No, it's not. This is real life. This is God wanting to have relationship with you. You're the sheep. You're the child. He wants you home with him. He wants your heart feeling his heart beating right close to you. So if you have not trusted Christ but would like to do it with me, let me offer a prayer and you can join me right now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. If you love me like that, then I want all the love you've got to flow in me. Forgive my sins. Let the healing begin as I trust you and receive the gift of salvation by faith. And now lead me as I turn from my way to grow, to live your way. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon the next steps of faith for you, would you simply raise your hand and keep it up just for a moment? Online, there's an orange banner you can click. Kendall Campus, we're praying with you right now. We have uh, ministry staff that are watching and, and interceding. And, and likewise, Gables, God bless you. Thank you. To my right, in the middle, God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Right here on the aisle, to my right, God bless you. Lord, for every person, the ones whose hands I've seen, for those who perhaps in the dark I've missed, but but that your spirit sees right into their soul. We pray where faith has taken a step forward, that they would feel your love filling them now, that the healing might begin as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.